Hi there, you're listening to Runelanders. I'm Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master. Now before we begin, a bit of a content warning. Runelanders contains adult content, about as much as your average late evening premium cable series. Now this is things like rough language and frank descriptions of terrifying situations and adult topics such as sex work and drug use. We don't beat these topics over the head, and they're not in every episode, but they do exist as part of the setting, so we don't shy away from them when they come up either. Use your judgment. If that sort of thing isn't your cup of tea, this probably isn't the podcast for you. Now, dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond. Will they remain merely outlaws, or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, runatics, and let's roll. Watch it drinking. Rum my whiskey Now won't you have a Double with me I'm sorry I'm a little late Hey, remember last episode when Arabette, Timothy, and Stitch got that invitation to brunch? Let's see what happens after that. The Iron Fire Bramble is by no means affluent, but it's the home to several respected weaponsmiths and those who wish to become so. The air usually smells of iron, and the streets are winding and tangle back on each other, hence the name. There is still some residence there, though not a lot. People tend to live near their shops. It's to one of these shops that our brunch invitation takes Arabet and Timote. It's a workshop with no sign at all. The smith at this particular location has all manner of innovation, weapons, and looks fond of clockwork. Also, to help, the smell of bacon is really quite delicious and fills the air along with the scent of iron. Arabette comes strolling up towards the entrance of the workshop. Ah, bacon. I haven't had bacon in a week. Timothy, there's bacon. Can we have... Wait, how much can we have? Are you buying? Or, Or are we buying? Oh... We'll be paying for this one way or the other. Don't get that wrong. I just give myself a shrug and keep going. Arabet enters the workshop at the appointed hour, not a minute late, but somehow far, far, far too late. The entrance is tucked into an alleyway, and the young lady who brought the invitation is there, as well as uh, what seems to be a friend of hers, somewhat taller. A little bit less noble in extraction, and notably, one of her hands is made of clockwork. It's this young lady that looks appraisingly at Arabette and Timothée, and says, Huh, not what I thought. Anyway, come on. Arabette follows. She leads the two of them down a set of stairs, to what's really quite a comfortable dining room. Uh, The table is set, and laden with food and, and beverages. Though it seems like our messenger and her friend are the only people here so far. Dang, we're paying for this? Yes, Timothy. 
will be paying for this. The messenger gestures toward the table. Please, make yourselves comfortable. This is a very interesting shop. The young woman with the clockwork hand nods. The messenger smiles again. Ursa sends her regrets. She does, does she? She was gracious enough to let us use her shop in her absence. So she is gone? Well, not here today, anyway. I see. So, breakfast? Yes, please enjoy. There's some noise from a little bit deeper into the establishment, and a door opens. It takes a moment to take all of Delilah in, really. She looks almost exactly the same as she did, though instead of a red dress, she's in armor this time. And she has a tray with a steaming pot of coffee and a number of cups. Arabit rises. I'm still sitting, just going to town on all the food here. It's a feast. Are you kidding me? This is breakfast? What do they have for lunch? Dinner? Dessert? Delilah chuckles a little at that. It's not precisely that Luca, our messenger, pales beside her, though she is much paler. It's just that Delilah seems to suck all the light in the room in, and then give it back off immediately. She glows, somehow. Arabit's hand subconsciously rubs his scar. Good morning, Arthur, she says, setting the tray down in the center of the table. Delilah. Who is this hungry little delight you've brought along? Timothy, but you already know who he is. What? Um, no, I think you're wrong, Arabet. I don't know who this fine lady <clears throat> is. Delilah chuckles. But, you know, may as well be polite. This is Lucrezia. She motions toward the messenger. And this is TikTok. We call her Tiki, she says, nodding toward the young lady with the clockwork hand. I never thought I'd see you again. No, I suppose you didn't, did you? Had I known, it would have gone differently. I'm sure you would have chosen differently had you known. Are you sure? Do you know? Quite. Arabit sits down. That coffee looks mighty fine. Please, have some. She waits for him and then pours herself a cup as well. It's a pleasure, you know, to see you again. Again? Oh, so you two go way back, huh? Five years to the ten day? Delilah chuckles. It's true. Maker's breath, if I'd only known, I would have done it all differently. Pray tell, what knowledge would have changed your actions? That you were on the job. Well, you went and bollocks that up for me anyway. The least you could have done is not top that sort of injury with the grave insult of never showing your face again. Do you see my face? 
Only after I took the time to hunt it down. If I could wear the scar on my outside, it'd be a lot deeper. Mm. Anyway, I didn't ask you here to reminisce. No, you didn't. What day did you ask me here for? It's coming back, Arthur. The constellations passing through Bailey Mina again. That's a buster job. That's dangerous. You want to do it right this time, do you? I do. I have a simple question for you. Why? You've seen it. Yes, I have. I've held it. I've had it in my hands. Damn things cursed. Oh. Oh, I know why I'm here. Mm-hmm. You want in on my job. Arthur, you're here because I want the constellation. Tell me, how is the constellation getting back here? It's coming by boat, isn't it? It's already en route. And there's only one boat they're going to use to hold that, and that's my boat. And then it's going to be stored in an impenetrable vault. Like I said, you want in on the job, don't you? She chuckles. I tend to think it's the least you could do. All right, you're in. When I lost that rock, I thought I lost you. When you lost that rock, you chose to lose me. I owe you the constellation. So you'll have it. It won't be easy, but you'll have it. Another fucking buster job. She chuckles again. Maybe this time you can pay a little more attention and we'll plan it better. Indeed. There is a half-elf you need to meet. She quirks a brow. A particular one or just a half-elf? A particular one, of course. You already know who I'm talking about. I suppose I do with that. I will arrange the meet. How should I message you? You can send a message here. We pass through frequently. Excellent. Timothy will be around shortly with the message. Yes, sir. Have you had enough pancakes, Timothy? Had I have enough? Uh, this this whole time, Timothy has just been going to town, eating and eating. He's honestly zoned out most of the conversation at this point because they're talking so vaguely. It's been a breakfast of champions. For what it's worth, I'm sorry, you know. Would have been more effective five years and a ten day ago. You'll be happier when you meet the AF-Elf. <laughs> Demote, it's time for us to go. We shouldn't overstay our welcome. I take one last look at all the food, and I get up. Nice to meet you all. Kinda. Good to meet you as well, Timothée. Oh, and Timothée, make sure you don't show her your back, or you might get another knife in it. 
Wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. What does that mean? Uh, Time to go, Timothy. Wait, wait, wait. No, no. I'm getting two and two together. Wait, you, wait, did you, did you do this? Point to my back a little bit. Anyone of our profession needs to learn to watch. Besides, most people have a scar there anyway. My jaw just drops. And the whole time I'm just stammering, I mean, uh, stuttering and stammering while uh, we're making our way out. I do not show my back to them. As Zarebet exits out into the street, there's maybe some dust in his eye, some sort of grit from the steelworks. Anyway, he has to wipe a tear from his face. So, what was that? We need to go see Master Calder. Run ahead and see if he's at the shop. I, I got you. And as serendipity does do around these parts, it is exactly at that moment that you both receive notification from Ziva. It seems that she'd like to see everyone who's available at the manor presently. It happens that this is much closer to your present location than Calder's. And since he's likely on his way, you both decide to save yourselves the walk. Hey Calder, what's happening in the manor? A bright sunny morning in the Lost Acre Although much transformed, renovations have been going on for some time now. And for someone who hasn't been to the Lost Acre in the last couple of months, it's uh, quite a startling change. Uh, Certainly brighter, cleaner, and uh, halflings everywhere. (laughs) On this morning, we find Arabet and Timothée already at uh, the manor, uh, starting to uh, make some coffee. A few moments later, a knock at the door. I'll come up, uh, open the door. Hello. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. How are you? Uh, good. Is everybody here? Uh, by everybody, you mean, uh, Arabet and I? Uh, yeah, we're here. Ugh, okay. Is there coffee? Arabet comes around the corner with a steaming cup of coffee. Oh my god, I love you. Oh, yes, of course. For you. (laughs) She takes it (laughs) as a big sim. Where's my coffee? On the stove where mine is? Go get them. (laughs) Alright. Just then, uh, Calder comes uh, trotting down uh, down the laneway and uh, sees Ziva in the doorway. Walks up. Uh, Good morning, Ziva. What what exactly was it that you hoped to discuss this morning? Your your note sounded rather urgent. Yeah, it is super urgent. Well, then, uh, let us get to business. Morning, Arabette. 
Is that coffee I smell? Morning, Master Lock. Yes, coffee. Arab, um, Timothy's, um, yeah, um, yeah, another cup's coming around the corner in a minute. Excellent. Uh, perhaps we should uh, retire to the dining room? So, Ziva, you asked everyone to be here, but uh, I don't see Nari. Yeah. That's kind of why we're here. Okay. You've been going on about him not being around, but job sources keeps coming by. I don't know what your problem is. Yeah, it's it's complicated. So where is Jobsworth? Where is Nari? Well, that's what I'm here to talk to everybody about. And as Ziva drifts over towards her beautifully carved seat at the table and slides onto the purple velvet cushion, people start to filter into the room from other doors. Yeah, so Ziva gets everybody into the dining room and... uh, opens a bag and pours out a small pile of leaves and a stone, small stone on a string. Okay. Where, where did you get autumn leaves in this season? I, these aren't from here. Calder has taken out a, a pen from the interior of his jacket and he's sort of gently poking them a little bit the eyebrow raised. Um, If not from here, then where exactly uh, did they come from, Ziva? The Fae. Calder stops touching them. He puts his pen down. (laughs) I look very intently at Ziva. Did you say the Fae? Yeah. Because that's where Nari is. Calder blinks slowly. But Jobsworth said Nari was just busy. So, this pile of leaves was Jobsworth. What what exactly are you saying? Alright, so this is going to take some explaining, and it's going to sound a little nuts, but this is how it goes. Nari really didn't want me to tell anybody this, like, for obvious reasons, but... He and Jobsworth were the same person. He was like using illusion spells to have a couple of identities, Jobsworth being one of them. Now, I'm sure you guys noticed that for the last few weeks, uh, we haven't seen Nari around, but we have seen Jobsworth. So knowing that they're the same person, that makes you ask some questions, right? Are you telling me that your brother was pretending to be his own... Oh my, that's really quite brilliant. Oh, yes, I see. Takes a long drink of coffee. But wait, who is... If Nari's Jobsworth, and these leaves are Jobsworth, what are you... Okay, Ziva, what what is going on here? Okay, so this is the complicated part. 
Nari has obligations to higher powers. He works for people who are very powerful and have access to things like the Fae and the and the ability to do things like create fake people, which is what Jobsworth was. Did you just say fake people? Yeah. Jobsworth, the, the Jobsworth that we've been interacting with for the last like few weeks, it was basically a puppet. So these leaves so, are like part of the spell components. Oh, so this is not Nari. No, because Nari is not Fey, and I can prove that too. I don't know. I mean, you know magic and stuff, so like I don't know if people who don't really know magic will be able to. I don't know, but think about Nari and look through this. And she shows Calder the, uh, the the small stone that has a hole in it. All right. Well, Calder, uh, this is fascinating. So, uh, taking a, a quick look at the at the leaves and maybe one more poke with the pen, uh, Calder leans in uh, at the stone and puts his eye right up against it and looks through it and blinks a few times because right now he just sees Arabet on the other side. Uh, but then he sort of holds his breath a little and. He thinks about uh, about his friend, Nari Hulu Esquire. Nari is running along a trail that, at flat out, he's running like he's being chased by something. Actually, you can kind of hear it does sound like he is. He runs around a corner, and just as he runs around the corner, he does a little hop over what you can see, a little wire. And he does a little shimmy around the rest of the corner, and then jumps into the bushes and waits. You see, uh, just a, a moment later, something big, something hairy, something re- real, like full of teeth, comes tearing around the bend after him, trips over the wire, face plants into the pile of dead leaves you saw, and down into the hole that was concealing. You see Nari stand up, raise his fist, and chuckle a little and grin. There's a dwindling roar and finally a distant crash. Ha, gotcha. Calder starts back, uh, drops the stone, and uh, I wouldn't say he goes pale, but he's clearly shocked, surprised, is uh, by the runes. That absolutely, unless that's some sort of brilliant illusion, Ziva, that is absolutely Nari. And judging by the creature he just outwitted, he's definitely in the Fae, and I suspect he needs some help. Oh my god, is he okay? He scrambles for the, the, the stone. Oh yes, yes. Uh, at least at this particular moment, uh, uh, he looked quite well. In fact, he was being uh, he was being chased by some fearsome monster, which uh, he dispatched with a very clever trap. It appeared. Ever resourceful, that Nari. Okay, that's good. But like, there's like. Time passes kind of differently there, so things are going to be weird. But basically, what do you mean? 
What do you mean time passes differently there? In the Fey? Time... Don't you know? No, I, uh, I must admit I'm... I do not know very much about about this place. Um, well, some, well some story. Linda used to tell me stories. You go to the Fey and you come back and centuries have gone by. Oh, my. Well, I must or have, like I, the other way around, you know, you leave real life for a couple of days, but you've spent 20 years in the Fey. It, there's no real like rhyme or reason to it. And we don't really know how long he's been there. So we need to figure out how to get there and how to help him. No rhyme or reason. That that sounds familiar. I'm I must admit I've I've not studied the Fae very much, but uh, it uh, its reputation is certainly a place of great power and mystery and uh, absolutely Ziva. We must uh, we must uh, help a friend, your brother, as soon as possible. Um, I, I must admit, though, I myself am at somewhat of a loss as to how we should go about this. So... Arabit slowly sets the coffee cup that's now empty on the table. Uh, what you're trying to say is that somebody sent your brother to the Fae and you want us to steal him back? Yeah. Because they're obviously doing it for, like, bad reasons. I mean, otherwise, why would they have sent, like, a fake guy to throw us off and keep us, you know... Like, they're trying to trap him there for some reason. They're not only that... Not only that, Herobet, but uh, considering that Ms. Hulu has dispatched this, and he gestures to the leaves, Jobsworth, one can only assume that the absence of Mr. Jobsworth leaves will be noticed relatively soon. I would expect this puts Nari at greater danger, or at least some complications here in Belimina for us. Uh, I think the sooner we get uh, uh, Nari back, absolutely the better. So yeah, that's why I wanted all of you guys here because like, I wanted to ask as many people as possible. You know, I mean, I I can do some pretty pretty fucking rad magic, but like planar transport not really in my wheelhouse. You know what I mean? Calder gets a kind of an interesting smile, takes a, takes a sip of his coffee, turns to Timothy and says, we haven't heard from you yet. Young Timothy, what do you think we should do? Uh, you're asking me? <laughs> you're seated at the table, are you not? Oh, but, uh, and I, I look to Aravet helplessly. I mean, this is the first time they've really come to me, you know? Tell us the stories your nan told you about the Fae. And so, as Timote recounts the stories of his beloved old nan, we turn our attention instead to the precincts of winter, where, for lack of a better term, 
I'm going to treat you to a Nari tale. Okay, Nari. Once you climb down to the bottom, you see that the forest is cloaked in that sort of glowing blue twilight illumination. You're not far from the road, but it must be mentioned that the road is full of bandits. So, are you going to head to the road, or are you going to try it out across country? I think uh, I think I'll try it out across country for now. Hurry as much as I can, but I won't rush necessarily. Keep uh, keep an ear open for any suspicious noises. I'm not great at that, so I guess I can roll a few. Roll perception, yeah. I got a seven. All right, so you don't hear anything as you run through the snowy woods. However, everything is pretty muted by the snow. That's the notable thing about it. Normally, forests, even when they're quiet, are fairly loud places. But this place is hushed. It's it's wrapped in a blanket of snow, and the thick, downy snowflakes muffle it. Every footfall, every scrape of the branches against your fur coat. Uh, you drift through these big, thick, bold pines and firs underneath the canopies of branches from time to time, once dislodging a clutch of impossibly colored jubjub birds who flap away, squacking their disappointment. It's just like endless downy shake of snow as you dash through the thick needles of the pine forest. I'm going to need you to make a survival check. Well, I don't know what my survival is, but I just rolled a natural 20. Well, that'll do it then. By and long, you find yourself running out of the trees and onto the surface of a frozen creek. Now, everything is under six or eight inches of snow, Fresh snow, anyway. Um, the creek is, well, it's just a solid, completely flat, level sheet of ice. Again, with the with the snow on it, but, I mean, your footsteps kind of push that away. Okay, so it's good and solid and good and, uh, good and smooth. I, I just can't resist. I'm going to see how far across I can slide in one go. Roll athletics. That's a 12. You know what? It's good enough. You slide and do like a spinning, sort of a twirling slide where you do like a half rotation and then, you know, your heel catches in the snow and you fall in your butt on the ice and it's a bump. It doesn't crack. It doesn't break. You rise and give your furs a shake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and dusty flake. I'll just sort of pick myself up and brush myself off and uh, and keep going, Head, heading along, uh, trying to trying to get to the to the rooms before uh, before the dark. Now, as I mentioned. On one hand, the road is full of bandits, and on the other hand, well, 
It is never a good idea to walk alone through the woods when fairies are about. Hell of a roll, Nari, good save. You step out into the packed and safe area counted by the inn's caravansary lot, and you can hear the disappointed chittering of the redcaps closing in through the muffling snow. Across the ancient land, rising from the misty veil, comes the call of adventure. The only question is, will you answer? Coming on April 25th and 26th, 2020, the Ragnarok Gaming Experience. Ragnarok is a gaming convention held in southern Ontario, hosted at the legendary Kitchener Doubletree Hotel. Don't miss out on the best weekend in gaming you'll ever have. Board games, RPGs, trading card games, LARPs, tabletop miniatures vendors, and so much more. Including special appearance by the Runelanders. Come out and meet cast members of your favorite actual play 5th Ed D&D podcast and get to experience the city of Bailey Mina for yourself with their very first convention adventure ever. All of this for the low advanced price of $20 Canadian each day or $35 for a weekend pass. Children 12 and under free. Don't miss the Ragnarok gaming experience. Get your tickets now at ragnarokxp.ca Game like the world is ending. We return you now to Rapscallion's Manor, where Timothy is just wrapping up his fairy tales. Finish this with, um, well, she just said that if you dare venture the Fae, beware the mirror cage. I, I uh, yeah, mirror, mirror cage, yeah. Huh. Ziva. She's just like frantically, she's already had like three cups of coffee. She's frantically writing in her notebook. Ziva. Darling, I, I wonder, would it be possible for you to speak with the leaves? Huh. I've never tried necromancy on plants. I could try. And these are in some way more than just plants, yes? I guess, yeah, because they were like, well, kind of. I mean, they're spell components, so they're used in magic. And... But they were also alive at one time, correct? Sort of. Uh, there were a bunch of like insects and stuff that were inside the body that were like helping to give it life energy, and they all kind of wandered off when he fell apart. So, oh wait, no, I still have that snail. I could try. Yes, that's snails can't talk try. though. That's the problem. Because, like, when I talk to the dead, you know, it actually means, it actually, like, it's like, have you ever seen me do that? 
I have not had the pleasure yet, no. Pleasure. Uh, Yes, pleasure. pleasure. That's what I was going to call it. (laughs) Pleasure is, like, really not the word most people use because I, like, literally make a skull talk. Most people are not a fellow thaumaturgical scholar. Oh, yeah. But, you know, like, the skull, like, talks. So, I'm not really sure how that would work with, like, the snail that can't talk. I'm not really sure how it would would tell anything. But it's a good idea. Yeah, it's a good place to start. I was imagining more that perhaps you could speak with that other Jobsworth somehow. I I admit I'm quite ignorant in, uh, in the specifics of your trade, but might that possibly work? Well, yeah, if it had some kind of spirit, you know, I could try and like summon it. That would work. Okay. I'm going to put that on my list of options. So I am making, uh, just like brainstorming list. So, Here's my list, and like this is just all crazy ideas, you know. And then we start from here, and we'll like narrow it down. And I am going to try my best not to like make you guys all super crazy uh, about this, because right now I, you guys, like, okay, this is like a massive amount of restraint for me right now, because I kind of wanted to come in here and like just start yelling and telling everybody to get off their asses and save my brother, but, but you know, that's not oh, oh, I like the idea of saving your brother. This I is, know, I this know. is the kind of heist that makes masters. <laughs> oh my. I hadn't thought of that at all. Well played, Arabet. You know, it's true because they are watching us, so... Yeah, you guys are um, probably going to want to watch your backs, too. I'm quite certain Timothy is, uh, has the job of watching his back well in hand, yes? Uh, why? Well, Ziva, be, be most assured we uh, will take uh, no actions other than those that will aid your brother and uh i see your list so let me ask where do we begin um well i guess it would just be learning as much as for you guys it would just be like learning as much about the phase we can and like how to get there like different ways of getting there and i am gonna look into the people he works for a bit more uh, and see if I can find out what I can find out about them. Would it be? Yeah, Mr. Calder, I was just thinking. Maybe you need to go on a date, Miss Hulu. Oh, yeah, I'm totally talking to Zul about it for sure. Yes, I was imagining that uh, information about the Fae uh, and uh, that particular law firm, uh, both subjects are probably in some way available to those who have access to the archives, no? Yeah. Um, I'm going to be 
probably spending a lot of time there uh, doing a lot of reading. So if you guys have like any other places or people or like anything you could look into because I don't know, like I don't even know who's watching us now. Like, you know, we got to watch our backs and everything. I propose uh, Ziva to uh, attend uh, to the archives. I shall do a survey of uh, exotic and rare books throughout the city, see what I can find there, and perhaps some private collections. What do you think, Arabette, of you and Timothy doing some investigations to see if you can identify if we are indeed being watched, and if so, by whom and how? Miss Hulu. Would you mind if we went by Nari's house? Oh, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I'll totally let you guys in. Excellent. And then I think uh, an Arabit takes a dagger out, stabs a couple leaves. I'm wondering what kind of tree this is. That's also something you can look at. Well then, I appear to have quite a number of shops to visit today, so uh, with that, I'll bid you adieu, and I'll see you back here at dinner time. Good hunting. Calder, like, thank you. Siva, you have nothing to thank me for. Nari is in peril. We will help him. We will find him, and we will save him. Stay strong. And with that, the Repscallions head off madly in all directions throughout the good old city of Bailey Mina, starting off on their different schemes and plans to rescue their friend Nari Hulu. We'll go with Arabet and Ziva first. Ziva, take it away. Okay, so like, uh, you need to go to his house, right? Yeah, yeah, we could do that right now. And she will chug another cup of coffee and head out the door. Holy, you pack back a lot of caffeine. It's what I live on. Timothy, are you coming along? Yeah, yeah. He gets up. He's gone. These leaves are very interesting. They're autumn leaves. Well, kind of, but also, like, they might just be that way because of having them, like, the, they might have been, like, alive and then the life taken out of them was, like, what was used for the spell. Could be. Could be. Or it but could be autumn there. Could be. But I, I just mean, well, the stories, they say a lot about the courts, you know what I mean? Oh, right. You know a lot. If it's superstitious, I certainly know it. Really? Yeah, you can bilk all kinds of people out of money with superstitious stuff. Oh, I know. Have you ever done a seance? No, but I've been to a seance. Oh, okay. You, okay. Man. You know, okay, you... I gotta get you to help me sometime. So, like, if I have the right spell components and whatever, I can 
like literally talk to the dead. But if I don't, and you know, that shit costs money and you need like skulls and things. So I can also bullshit talk to the dead and it's super easy. So uh, there's like lots of little tricks you can do that, you know, make people uh, think that you're really getting to them and stuff. Me? Oh, tricks. I like that. Bilking people? Definitely there. Oh, yeah. Like, like, I only pull this on, like, rich idiots. Because really, like, people who don't have money, like, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve my bullshit. But rich idiots, they totally deserve my bullshit. So... One of the best, okay, it's super funny because they totally forget that they do this, but you like, when they come in, you get them to like fill out a form or whatever. And in this form, you ask a few questions and they will answer this question with like super personal information, hand it over, you distract them with a bunch of other stuff, and then you sit them down and basically tell them all the stuff they just wrote down to you, you just like say it back to them in this like spooky way. And they think that you're like magic. It's amazing. That sounds like easy money. See, I have a, I have a similar one where I, I what what we do is we set up the alms box down at the dock and I uh, put on some priestly garments and, you know, I absolve people of their sins. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got one, too. It's where um, I run up behind them, and then I just take it. Oh, that's great. Oh, man. And, like, he's got that face, too, Timothy. You can totally, like, you can make him up super angelic, you know? You could give him like that really that that cherubic face. Oh man, that would sucker him in so so well. All you have to do is sit there, smile, and look pretty. I already got one of that, right? Now I just gotta smile. Hey, appreciate this, you guys. Um, and they uh, get to the um, when they uh, get to the house. Is it? Does he have a house or an apartment? It's a brownstone. And I'm assuming they would have taken. So, hang on, I'll describe this. So, uh, they've been riding in uh, Ziva's gig. And uh, the newly uh, upholstered horse looks... uh, looks a little different uh, from what you guys have seen previously. Um, the movements of it are a little less stiff. They seem slightly more uh, natural, although it's still a little odd and jerky, not quite right. And when it stops, it just stops. And the gig just stops. And she gets out, 
gives the horse a little pat on the nose, uh, walks up to the brownstone. She digs around in some pockets until she finds a key and opens the door. Now, you, you haven't been here, are you, is this correct? Well, no, because, you know, well, Nara usually stops by because he helps me with work. And, you know, and like Jobsworth was coming by and I thought that was him. So, no, I haven't been to the house. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not accusing. I'm just making sure that when we go in there, we know what we're looking for. No, I'm just like annoyed and stressed. It's okay. We're on track now. We know what we need to do. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yes. And so she, she just kind of stands in the door, like in the front entrance, sort of looks around. Well, it's fairly barely, like bare furnishings. Um, you know, decent, but not a lot of it. Um, some clothes, you know, sort of like a jacket tossed over a chair, you know, here and there, not a mess, but a bit of clutter, but otherwise, yeah, just sort of barren and empty and yeah, kind of a hollow house at the moment. Arabic crosses uh, the room without touching anything and uh, sort of scans what's going on around, looks for valuable items because that's, you know, his bent. He doesn't own a lot. Yeah. This is kind of weird. Does he have any, like, books or anything? Well, he should have a lot of stuff, but honestly, like... I don't know if this is him or what. I mean, he's always been a bit, like, hasn't really had a lot of his own stuff, but I don't know. How long has he been gone, we say, a few weeks? Let me check the kitchen. I would say the kitchen is, again, you know, fairly Spartan. There's some food in the cupboard, you know, just some simple stuff, some, you know, some dry crackers. Uh, there's a, there's a bit of uh, hard cheese in a, in a cold box. It's not really all that cold anymore. Some tea, very, very little. Huh. He's well off and the, the what's there is of good quality, but, there's not much of it just around the house, at least at least on this floor. He also might have like hidden all of the good stuff. Yes, he's a smart man and a, a very cautious one. This is Maybe unusual, a little though. too cautious. Okay, you know what? You guys do your thing. I I I just need a minute, and she's gonna go stand outside. Okay, Timothy. If you were a contract, where would you hide? Uh, uh, well, the floors are made of wood, right? Um, Timothy just starts uh, kicking around all the floors to see if there's any hollow points anywhere. 
Timote, you're not thinking. There won't be anything on this floor. It'll be where his study is. Up to his study, then. So, Timote, what I'm thinking is this. I'm thinking that he keeps his valuables close at hand to where he needs them. And where does he need them? Where does a lawyer do most of their work? Their study, right. So, where could you hide it in there? Sorry about that. Okay, so you guys are heading up, checking out We're the upstairs, I guess? Study. You bastards. Uh, well, I would say the study is locked, but I would also say that's not going to slow either of you down. So after picking the lock... Shall you do it, Timote, or shall I? Uh, I guess I'll do the honors. And with a steady hand, Timote cracks that lock. It's not a it's not a great lock. It's okay, but it's it's a lock on the inside of the house, so it's of a different different nature. But yeah, the uh, the study is uh, is much much more uh, well well furnished. Uh, still fairly Spartan, but it's got like a ver- a good comfortable chair behind a nice wide desk of good wood. Uh, of shel- shelves of books along the walls and a decent sized window. Uh, to look out behind the desk. Now, Timothy, if we were going to do a professional job, we'd want nobody to know we were ever in here. In this case, though, it doesn't matter. Take the drawers out. Take the drawers out and empty them on the desk. All right. Uh, Timothy has uh, creative freedom over how he gets to plunder the desk now. So uh, he's going to start from the top right drawer and go all the way down, just ripping them out. Yeah, it's papers and office supplies. And you find find a nice little bottle of very fine scotch. Or what is it? Scotch. It's... uh, Scotch, yeah, just a good scotch and a, a pair of uh, uh, snifters there in one of the drawers. Pens, paper clips, a- again, a ton of papers. Are the papers blank? Do they have writing on them? Uh, there's there are some blank papers. There's also uh, there's a drawer of, uh, of blank paper. There's a drawer of uh, stationery that's you know forms and stuff that aren't filled out yet but are you know ready to go standard standard forms and then yeah there's a there's a another drawer that's full of a sort of a wrapped up sheaf of uh of different folders and papers that it'll all look sort of signed and filled out and that are being stored there i see nothing no false backs on any of these drawers not that I can feel, no. So, Timote, close your eyes, feel around, really feel. I'm uh, really feeling here. 
well, this guy's a master of illusion. What we see is what we would expect in the lawyer's office. So we must go to their offices. That'll be another trip for us to take on a dark night. But this room isn't the room where it happened. All right. So Jobsworth then, right? Yes, Jobsworth's room. And um, on the way out of the study, uh, Timothy looks at a, a few of the books and uh, just nabs a couple that are uh, the most interesting looking out of all of the dull lawyer's books. Because he's a thief, after all. I would actually, I would guess that the thing to notice um, would probably be even as you're coming out and sort of like looking back down the stairs the way that you came up, you notice that there's a, a frame with uh, just some remains of a mirror still stuck in it, hanging above the landing out to the stairs. Timote, you notice that. Hey, uh, Arabet, um, look at that. What am I looking at, Timote? Remember what uh, Nan said about mirrors? Ziva! She just comes running in in a panic. What, 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 what? Look to your right at the mirror. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna have to figure out some, like, spells and stuff. We should take this to Calder's shop. Yeah. You're right. Wait. You think it's safe to move? Probably. Yeah. You think it's safe to touch? I think that it's broken. Well, yeah. It probably was a one-time use thing, so it's probably just hang on. And she pulls the wand from her um, from her hair, uh, waves it around and chants, and her eyes glow. They get that sort of filter of rhythm. And uh, she looks for magic uh, in and around the mirror, uh, assuming uh, she finds none, given that the um, the spell has is, is already happened. Um, okay, I think it's safe to touch. I'll grab the pieces, Timothy. You get the door. All right, Nari. The inn you see has a conical roof with all kinds of little, you know, those little peacoat dormer windows. Um, the roof is about 30 feet tall, and there are windows in a spiral all around it. Some of them are skylights, but others are room windows. As you turn, starting with a smirk across the packed caravansary lot, you adjust your coloration as you 
step through the bat wing doors. Stopping there to let the doors frame you for a moment, you'd know with some disappointment that most people are quietly paying attention to their own affairs. Over to you. Well, I'll scan the uh, scan the bar and the, the clientele and see if there's yeah anyone uh, anyone looking out of place anyone looking like they're uh, yeah, traveling along and not usually down, not usually staying in this sort of place. There are some soberly dressed traditionalist looking Eladrin at one table who uh, are sitting quietly drinking from a crystal clear pitcher of water. These guys are absolutely no fun at all and uh, really kind of religious about the high, true lords and ladies. They're best avoided unless, you know, you want to defend everything you say. It's good to keep your rhetoric skills in shape, but maybe not what you're looking for tonight. At another table, there is a band of puka um, who appear to be a family of foxkin and you know minding their own business really not much company for you there some of the locals are clustered at the bar but of most note is well at one of the tables sitting on two of the chairs is an ogre he's a full-on ogre he's like 12 feet tall but notably this ogre is dressed in very expensive well-made almost noble clothing I'll go to the bar and order uh, a pitcher, yeah, a, a pitcher of beer, and walk over to the table. Now you've been here before, so the bartender recognizes you, and as you stride in, he begins to draw you a pint. You nod at the pint, but then make the hand signal for a pitcher and uh, another one for. And like another one for something to eat. Frankly, you're famished. That walk through the woods took quite a bit out of you, especially keeping ahead of the red caps like that. Well, trudging through the snow for sure. Yeah, definitely need a, a bowl of something. So you unfasten your fur coat and open it up and reveal beneath is the last bit of your mortal clothing, which was the bulletproof vest that you brought with you when you fell through the mirror. It's still in amazing shape. Um, your watch, you had to trade that a long time ago. Uh, a few of the buttons on your waistcoat, let's face it, they had to go too, but uh, you still have that and it still looks pretty good. The bartender returns a moment later with a full pint of the deep brown comforting beer that they brew here, along with a trencher containing a rasher of fried satisfaction and some deep brown rye-smelling baked contentment. All right. Well... It looks like there's a like a crowd around the uh, the, yeah, ogre the ogre over there. Yeah, the ogre's playing a bit of goblin poker, and everybody's being very quiet. You can see, however, that the ogre's looking at all the other players and fidgeting. And as if on cue, he looks around the room and goes, "Okay, you guys are fucking lame. Will nobody drink with me?" 
I think the picture belongs over there. I'll have it sent. Enjoy. And uh, be careful. That's Duke Galloglass. He's a prodigious drinker. I'll be careful. So you go wandering across the tap room and the, you know, the, the wooden floors covered in sawdust, but still polished smooth by the passage of feet over long millennia. What you've come to understand about the fairy is that places like this aren't built. They're just dreamed into existence. So um, this is the dancing dog and you know, it's going to be here because it's fairly archetypal, but you've stayed in different taverns, which, have always been there one day and then never were the next. This is fairly reliable, though. So you're fairly sure that Duke Galloglass here is a, well, he's a fairly well-established dream by somebody in the waking world. I'll put my uh, put my food at the table and raise a glass to the Duke there, your lordship. Finally, what's your name, kid? Nari, sir. Nari, you got a last name, Nari, or just Nari? Nari Hulu, Esquire. Nucolo Galloglass, Duke of Kern. You like drinking? Now and then I enjoy a bit. Well, confidentially, son, every day I enjoy a lot. But I hate drinking alone, and these guys are more into playing cards than having any fun. So, I'm buying for whoever wants to drink some beers with me, because let's face it, this place, well, is quiet and cozy and all of that, but it could use a little more life. Don't you agree? Oh, entirely. It's cold enough outside. It's got a little fucking springtime in here, huh? And he claps his hands a couple of times and... When he does that, there's like this resonant boom that goes deeper and more profoundly than just the impact of even those shovel-sized palms coming together should sound. And uh, there's a ripple which comes out from the Duke himself and fills the room. And instead of being like a dim, dark, eating a late dinner by the fire winter tap room, the place just brightens right up and it smells like spring air and there's a, you know, like a big, like garlands of flowers which start sprouting from the eaves and then there's music, right? And people just perk right up. He's like, oh, that's better. I guess it was my fault. Listen, if I knew all it would take was to buy a couple rounds, everybody, please help yourself. And the mood gets way more convivial. And then you sit down with Duke Galloglass and start drinking your beer. Another nightmare, Delilah. You wake up covered in sweat with the sheets plastered to you and your hair slicked onto your back. 
It's cold in the room. Actively cold. The snow will be coming soon to Bailey Mina. But you are sweating buckets. Another one of the she's watching dreams. Lila pulls the sheet around her just enough to barely stop people from being entirely distracted and heads to the window to get some more cold air. As she sets her feet on the floor and rises up, the camera shows her shapely shoulders and upper back and then cuts to the outside of the room. Noteworthy, while we're in the room, it is well lit as though by several hundred candles. However, from without, the light visibly dims as Delilah walks to the window. When we zoom to her face and decolletage, we can see that her pupils are burning the color of the sun. She leans out into the alleyway a little bit, forcing herself to breathe deeply. Oh, the air of iron fired bramble. It's cool and smoky and smoky. This hour? Who's running a smoker at this hour? There's a bump from downstairs. Someone's awake. Another noise is as of a shifting of weight on the floorboards. Delilah frowns a little wary and gathers up a few knives before making her way to the door. Going from her bedroom into the hallway, the change of temperature is that of a dozen degrees. As she slinks down the hall, silent as a dream, and down the stairs, like a wisp of smoke, she pauses at the bottom. To your left, Delilah, is the kitchen. Up ahead is the front door. Around behind you, to your right, is the stairs to the basement and the door to the back garden. Off to your right, well, up ahead is the door to the sitting room, and then where the dining room has been replaced by Ursa's workshop. From within Ursa's workshop, there is warm light, the sound of an Estimondine woman singing in their native language, and the sound of metal on a grinding wheel. Delilah makes her way down. She doesn't relax entirely until she sees who it is. As you peek around the corners, you see the broad hips and broad shoulders of your longtime friend and partner, Ursa. Her long auburn hair hangs halfway down her back and is tied just below the nape. Tucked behind her ursine ears, which bear the same downy coat of light brown fur that her face does. When she turns around, she has a cute button black nose and full womanly lips. Her eyes are big and brown and... She cocks an eyebrow at you. Couldn't sleep, babe? You know me, I never sleep. You never sleep restfully, anyway. What do you think of this? And she shows you a ring which looks like it should be made for 
some sort of noble person and cost several hundred thousand dollars. Delilah slips it on and admires it. And what kind of secrets have you built into this one? Well, this one's a number two glamour jump. And, uh, well, I made it out of silver, so it is a little more expensive. See? And with a wave of her hand, the glamour drops. Now, the ring is well made and looks more or less like it does. But when she puts the glamour on it, wow, does it pop. It's a trick she learned at Swans when you work there on the Constellation job. See, Ursa, she stayed on there for, a, well, you know, she kind of still works there as of this day, really. She's so senior that she doesn't work every day if she doesn't want to. And they tend to just call her in on special projects. Hence, the quality of her costume jewelry. Lisa for Luca. Uh, I got a whole set. I've got two more to make. Um, what do you think? That's lovely, but there should be something floral for her. I was thinking on that. Now, I have amethyst, so I could make irises, or I have like diamonds, but daisies are kind of gauche now, aren't they? They were done like two years ago. Amethysts? Give her foxglove. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here, let me get... Go put the tea on, and I'm just going to draw something. I'll be right in. Lila hands the ring back and slinks off to the kitchen, uh, bumping the kettle's hob with her hip as she walks past to turn the flame up a bit. And the stove obediently flames right up. I mean, Ursa's set the thing up so that it pretty much runs itself. You just know how to bump and jiggle it, right? And that's how it works. You and she are the only ones who know every bump and jiggle and pound and knock here and kick there and swear at there, right? Uh, the other girls, they're learning it, but this whole place, it's... Uh, well, there's you and Luca and Tiki and Ursa and... There have been other girls over the years, but in the beginning, it was just you, Ursa, and this whole house. It started out as a challenge, you know. She won it in a bet. The original owner better. She couldn't walk across it without making it creak. Well, and I mean, fair enough. Nobody could have, but then Ursa made you those quiet shoes so that anybody could have. The point is that nobody had until somebody did and that somebody was you. And now we have a house. Now you have a home, moreover. Like, Ursa goes on and on and on as you sort through the various tea bags based on, you know, what's in them. And whether they're tea or, like, uh, laxative or, you know, whatever they're for, there are a million different herbal concoctions in here. And none of them are marked if you don't know how to look for the markings. 
someone's going to break in here and steal our tea, they deserve what they get. Well, exactly. And you can also keep like your hallucinogens mixed in with your tea. And if you don't know which ones they are, then, you know, fair enough. You know, keep people from uh, getting greedy too, right? Even if they, you know, even if they do kind of know what's going on and mind their manners. Just a nice little bit of mystery and things. Anyway, in a moment, the kettle is boiled. The pot is filled. The bags are in, or the tea balls are in the pot. And you have cups and cream, you have cups and milk and sugar and everything on a silver tray. And you are on your way up the lift to the roof to sit in the solarium, which is where tea is traditionally taken between you two ladies. And really no better place for it. That's also where Ursa keeps her delightful crop of cacti. Cacti from all over. You don't know how or where she got her first one, but uh, she loves them. See, one of the things of being bearkin like Ursa is, She's a great gal. She would be a great wife. She has been a great wife. Let's just let's just say it straight, right? Whether you think of her that way or not, God, she's been a good wife for you. And I mean that in honor to all of the good wives who have ever been with people who don't really appreciate what they get. Because like there's always warm, there's always hot food on when you get home. She's not much on field work. She'd rather stay here and build things and send you out to try them. She's more Alfred than Batman in that case, right? But that suits you just fine, because, you know, you're Delilah Del Rey. Nobody knows that Ursa North is your, you know, Ingenus, for instance. There's no guild connection at all. She's paid as an employee of your organization with a number. Perfect arrangement between you. That part, at least, never keeps Lila up at night. So in her due time, the she-bear makes her way up the stairs and, you know, across the roof. She doesn't take the lift. It, uh, well, let's not be delicate. Let's not be indelicate about it, but it's just not rated for a full woman. As it can only carry 200 pounds. He comes up the stairs and walks across the roof and lets herself in and settles, and settles into her tall back chair across the cafe set from yours and settles in. She's lost the, uh, she, she's lost the apron she was wearing over the purple silk robe that she was wearing while she was working. And, uh, you know, she crosses her legs at the ankles and says, uh, Oh, Karnak and Gold, how about that? You do spoil me. I try, Ursa, and I'm having someone in next week to work on that lift. Not that I need the exercise. I mean, I never get out of the house, really. I'm just here and there, and it's fine. 
It's fine. Don't worry about me. I'm more worried about Arthur. Arthur. Yeah, Beb, I couldn't help but notice as Luca was leaving the other morning, she had an envelope marked Arthur. Now, I know when you saw him at the guild house, it was a shock. I get it, Beb. He's supposed to be dead. But he's not, and he's not Arthur either. No, he's Arabat. Which is a whole big kettle, Beb. And with that, she pours tea. Once everything's been poured, Lila scoops up her mug and curls up in her chair a bit, wrapping her whole self around it and burying her nose in it for a second. It's uh, nice and spicy and aromatic, and it smells like the Hydra River Highlands where it's grown. Karnak and Gold, it's the best tea made in Karnaki. Well, sorted in Carnegie anyway. And Carnegie is uh, off in Venado. It's one of the continental provinces anyway. The most popular tea in the empire for a reason. It's delicious. And uh, you don't need sugar with it, but Ursa, being a bear, has a sweet tooth and has sugar and honey in hers. Lila just sips for a moment and eventually reaches over to pet one of the spikier cacti that she seems to have taken on as some sort of companion, even though all it does is sit in its pot. The cactus sits in its pot appreciatively and submits to your petting without saying a word. He was supposed to be dead, and now he's being very distracting. So I thought I might let him do that. Delilah, you can find distraction like that on any corner in the Tenderloin. But it's rare to find distraction to quite the caliber and degree of a man and a cat hanging off the buster, flying across the sky. That was pretty impressive, I gotta tell you. I mean, did I mention I was on the second car they ran through, right? <laughs> Probably a hundred times, but really, I couldn't believe it. That thing came through the roof, and then I climbed back out. and, and like the, the, Anyway, brave, not very smart, but flashy as anything. I mean, if you want a big boom, they're your boys. But is this a boom, boom job, D? A smile spreads across Delilah's face slowly. It always is. And I get to walk away with all of it in the end. Well, that's how we like it. Cheers, Beb. 
Hellste Aas. Lila lifts her teacup. To the Iron Fire Queens. To the ladies of the Bramble. And there's a clink of the glasses, and the scene goes up through the solarium to focus on the stars and the moon above. And as we fade out, we hear Ursa's voice going, Say, D. Mm-hmm. Do you know what would be fabulous? Like right now, I'm thinking some of those bagels from that guy at Copper Penny Road would really hit the spot, babe. Do you mind? Anything for you, Ursa. You're an angel. Anything but that, Ursa. Well, I guess that'll about do it for that episode. That was episode two, A Walk on a Winter's Day. Roomlanders was curated, created, produced, arranged, scored by me, Mad Adam. In this episode, Nari Hulu and all of his other personas are played by Eric Martin. Arabet is played by Christopher Stockerman. Delilah Del Rey is played by Kathy G. Timothy Boulanger is played by James Starkovich. Zebu Hulu is played by Shireen the Mad Fishmonger. And Calder is played by Sean Hill. All of our music is licensed through SoCat. And in this episode, you heard the intro to Demon Days by Gorilla. Never Forget You by the Noisettes. Feel It Still by Portugal the Man. Oh Lately It's So Quiet by OK Go. Pasadena by Temperance Seven. Hazy Shade of Winter by The Bangles. Dream a Little Dream by Mama Cash. Our outro is Hollow Beach by Quintess Moyera. Also, the song Winter by Audio Goddard appears here under a Creative Commons license via the YouTube audio line. That's all we've got for this episode. Come back next week for episode three, Fade Away Radio. Until then, I'm Matt Adam. Take care. Are you looking for the perfect gift, but it eludes you? Search no more, friend. All you seek will be found at Calder's Curios. I am Master Lock Calder, purveyor of the finest curiosities and small wonders. 
antiquarian by royal appointment. From anniversaries to erastine to runes day gifts, everything you seek can be found at Calder's Curios. Visit us today in Queensbridge. No gift too small, no purchase too large.